what is gaslighting? You Ooh. kept saying it, and I have no idea what that is. So you, you want to speak to a layperson? Lay it on me, because I'm a layperson. <laughs> well, and man, that is a that is a great another great question, Chief. Gaslighting is when you make the other person think they're crazy for stuff that is that is happening, and then oftentimes I'm the one that's causing it. So this is the history of gaslighting. So this is a, in a movie, an old movie, like back in the I don't know, 30s, 40s, something like that, maybe in 50s, there was a husband, so husband and wife, the husband would go in the other rooms back when they had gas lights in the house, he would flicker the gas lights, cause them to flicker, and the wife would be like, hey, honey, did you see the gas lights flicker? I mean, the lights, did you see the lights flicker? And he's like, honey, I have no idea what you're talking about. About 30 minutes later, he'd go in, make them flicker again. Honey, I just saw the lights flicker. Babe, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, what are you talking about? He would do that consistently over, I don't what, remember the period of time, week, month, few months. She literally went nuts because she thought she was crazy. Honey, I think you need to go see a you know, shrink. You, like, you, you get yourself checked in. You, you have got some serious issues. Leaders do it all the time. What ha- and again, the consequences of gaslighting people is they can start to think that they're crazy even though a lot of times it's the leader that is causing this behavior i'm gonna start flicking the lights in your office. <laughs> you just stick your hand around the corner and be like what in the world or is it going to be the other way around no. <laughs> we'll see your lights always turn off in your office and you, they do i have yeah. to throw my arms yeah. in the air and like move my chair around to get him to, to it's come great back when on. he's on a zoom meeting too because he's sitting in there and he's got his camera on and he's waving his arms to turn the lights <laughs> back on and now i'll be like what are you doing oh my lights turned off no they didn't <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to The Kitchen Table. I am your host, Justin White. I am sitting next to the talent, Josh Winter. As per normal, we are your amateur podcasters for this week. Interesting topic this week. We're talking about emotional intelligence, uh, something that we don't often talk about, but we'll get into that later. Welcome, Josh. How are you? I am doing well. Um, I feel like we're kind of back on another roll. Um, you know, after being out of the studio for a couple months. And I feel like we've been back in the studio a few times, and maybe that's just my perception of it, but it's always good to be sitting here. Yeah, we just recently put out the Fred Varnell podcast. It seems the feedback that I'm getting from it is very well received. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many listens we've got from it, but hopefully people are listening to that because it, it was just a fun one to do. Um, we did take a break for apes and multi-company drills, but we're back at it, um, bringing more content to everybody. Hopefully you enjoy it. Hopefully you listen to it. And again, get other people to listen to it. If there's any kind of value in it, um, let them know where we're at, have them subscribe and, and we'll get, we'll get more listeners that way and, and get more reach with, with some of the stuff that we're trying to talk about. But what I wanted to talk about was, um, you said you feel well. 
I do. Um, part of why you feel well, I think, is you started training again for endurance athletics. I did. Um, so I had to walk away from endurance sports a while back, actually a long while back, like 2012. Um, did a pretty big race. So I'd kind of gone through the um, triathlon, Ironman world for a little while. It wasn't really a good fit for my personality, even though I liked the sports that I was doing. Um, so then I kind of transitioned into endurance running and kind of put myself in an event that was a little bit bigger than what I was trained for. And after that was over, I needed to take off my running shoes for a little while. And then after that happened, life started changing, started taking college classes, um, other things kind of got in the way, and then the wheels kind of fell off. You know, I, my fitness started dropping and I couldn't get myself back into a routine. Um, you know, kind of as I've said on this podcast a few times before, I went through some of my own mental health things that I needed to work through. And now I'm back in a place where using the fitness and using the endurance sports is actually kind of adding to, um, I would say, my mental health benefit. But also, I'm just feeling really good just um, in general, physically. Yeah, and I was going to ask, um, do you think any of the, the mental health things that you were experiencing uh, can be attributed to the, the lack of physical exercise? Because I know you have a passion for the endurance sports um, and... Um, I, don't, I don't know that many people know why you got into the endurance sports, especially the long running. And what I'm relating that to is when you were diagnosed with high blood pressure. And I think what you had told me is you didn't want to be on medication and, and done some research and that uh, exercise in and of itself can relieve some of the high pressure or high hypertension issues. So do you want to address that a little bit? Yeah. And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in the podcast that we did with Chief Dubay. Um, you know, but just to kind of go back and touch on that, and that was it. I went through a CDL physical, um, got diagnosed with high blood pressure, had a doctor put me on medication, um, felt horrible. You know, I would go out, they put me on a beta blocker and I'd go out and try to run and my heart rate would not go over like 120 when it needed to be up to like 160 and I would almost pass out. Um, so started doing some research, um, started looking at one, my diet and two, my fitness and went, neither one of those are good right now. So I made an immediate change in what I was eating. Um, just started eating cleaner at the time, that was it. Um, and I kind of sh started shopping like on the outside of the grocery store and kind of stayed out of the, you know, out of the middle, um, mm -hmm. out of the aisles. And then started, I stopped taking the medication and started working out and it immediately dropped my blood pressure. And so that led to this, um, really great feeling that I was getting just in life in general, which made me start pushing the distances that I was running and the amount of time that I was running. And then it became almost, uh, some kind of like an addiction or, um, I would call it active meditation, or I would just get out and be on these really long runs and just kind of be in my own world, in my own space, and was able to kind of put everything in my life that was stressful aside for amount of time in the day. And that's kind of really what pushed me into the endurance side of, you know, of physical fitness. Uh, and I think I'm more built for that. I'm definitely not built like a bodybuilder. Yeah. <laughs> so that just, it just kind of came natural to me. So when that got taken away or you decided to discontinue that, 
is that when you found that you you were missing something and started having some of the, the mental health things? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I'm still trying to work through, um, you know, the why behind, you know, kind of where some of my mental health came from. Because I'm not going to tie it strictly to the job and say, oh, the job broke me, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sure that there's aspects of our job that kind of play into um, kind of some of the mental health problems that I had. Um, but... I definitely know that not having that in my life wasn't positive for me. It was, um, you know, I, and, and I'll say things like I was, um, I was drinking a little too much alcohol at the time. Um, and, you know, that just def- definitely wasn't healthy for me. I thought it was because it made me feel good for a short period of time. But on the flip side of that, uh, you know, I also realized that, that short bit of happiness um, really was um, more, I'd say, more detri- detrimental. It just made me feel worse in the long run, it, and it wasn't adding value to my life. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I would go out on a run, and the longer I could run, and and um, the better I would feel for a longer period of time. And then the next thing you know, I'm out on another run, feeling good again. So it was just something that kind of made me made me feel better. Um, when I walked away from all that, um, I definitely, that definitely kind of added to this somewhat of a downward spiral, you know, and don't get me wrong. There was nothing in my life that was extremely, there's a lot of people out there that have a lot of worse issues than I, than I have or have had. Um, but I'm just in a position now or in a place now where I like talking about it. I think there's value in saying, like I haven't always been in a good place and there are things out there that I've done to help me. And one is fitness. Well, you see, you seem, I, and I don't want to say you seem happier because you, you, you've never been negative since, you know, I've known you and we were at fours together and then you came out to the division and we were at ones together for a while, but you seem more energized. You seem like there's more energy in the things that you do, uh, which makes me believe that you feel better. Yeah, I, I would definitely say I've got more energy in my life right now. And um, I think my character trait, you know, kind of falls more on the happier side. Um, it's easy for me to be that person in uniform. Um, but like I'm sure a lot of people in the job, I would come into work and be very happy and then all of a sudden go home. And, you know, it's almost like you took off your superhero costume and, and you turn into Clark Kent and you're like who am I today? Like, like, what am I going to do today? That's going to, you know, that's going to top what I did at work. And, you know, I think that's some of the balance that we, you know, that we have to find in this, in this job, in this career. Um, but yeah, so, um, training for me, like I'm back into it. Training's going great. Um, my, my fitness level is, is, um, gaining much quicker than it ever has in the past. And I think it's just because, you know, mentally I'm in a good place and I feel good doing it. Well, I would say you look more fit, but you, you really haven't changed at all. <laughs> no. So here's one thing I am doing because of that. And it's not just the look, but my um, kind of endurance, uh, when I was really focused on endurance work, I didn't do a lot of gym work. I didn't go, you know, lift weights or anything like that. And one of the things that I've done is I've reached out to the Hibble Center and I paid $75 and they built a three month program for me that is specifically geared towards um, muscular strength and endurance. So now I do two to three days a week of um, that type of work in addition to 
what I'm doing with, um, with my cardiovascular stuff, and that's been a big benefit. And, and the Hibble Center is at UCCS, yep. and anybody can walk in and participate in this. It's not exclusive. The Hibble Center itself, um, where you're working at, I believe is run by Centura Health. That's correct. Um, so it's not for students only. So if you're interested in, in getting into some, some sort of program like, like Josh is talking about, head up to UCCS, go to the Hibble Center, and you can walk right in and participate. Yeah, I walked in the door and looked at what they had, and I was like, I'm in. So I don't actually train there. I'm, I'm kind of remote. You know, they give me the workouts and I do them here. But if anybody wants to, you can go in um, and and pay for an hour-long session or an ongoing process, and you can use their facility too. So it's it's unbelievable. I mean, it looks like a you know place where there's professional athletes, you know, training. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's part of the school there. So, you know, the sports medicine folks use that. And it's um, my son went there to do some strength training. Um, he's pretty young. He's 13. But what they really worked on with him is technique rather than big heavy weights. Um, so it was good for him to learn how to squat and learn how to bench press and, and, and do all that stuff. So he's doing the exercise correctly mm-hmm. rather than these big heavy weights at, at such a young age. Speaking of that... You attended spirometry yesterday. Uh, well, let's say we attended spirometry we, yesterday. That is correct. Yeah. Do you, but we're, we're talking about you now. So I just, you, you put up some incredible numbers. So I wanted to <laughs> hear how your results went. Um, my results. So the only thing that we did yesterday was the hearing and the spirometry. Um, didn't do the TB test or anything like, you know, this year. It seems like they're changing the process. Um, I was not uh too happy with my hearing results um they kind of play into what my wife has been telling me for a while now like hey you need to get a hearing test like are you not hearing me (laughs) things like that because my numbers actually put a took a pretty uh, i wouldn't say drastic but took a big turn i've constantly since we've been on the job every year it seems like i've been getting a little bit worse um, and then my numbers this year, she kind of went, hey, has anybody ever talked to you about these? And, uh, and I said, well, every year they get a little bit worse. And she goes, well, they're not great this year. The one thing that she pointed out, though, was that mine, um, it was the high pitch. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she goes, a lot of times that means that's just an age thing. So I don't specifically know why, mm-hmm. but we're not getting, we, you and I, we're mm-hmm. not getting any younger. Correct. So that's correct. <laughs> I'm certainly not. So then after that, I did my spirometry. And How'd that go? Well, so here's how I felt. I'm like 100%. When somebody tells you you got 100, I'm like, that's pretty good. And she told me, she's like, you got 101. And I'm like, you can't beat that. Like, I've just knocked it out of the park. Here mm-hmm. I am. I'm back in shape. I'm fit. I'm feeling good. And I got 101, which normally I go in there and it takes me like five times to pass that test, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm the same way. I always had trouble with, I think one year we did balloons, you know, it was yeah. on the screen and one was birthday candles. And, um, and I was telling you yesterday, um, Steve Pribble, former lieutenant driver on our job, we were in the office together one year and he was blowing so hard on that thing that he passed out um, <laughs> and fell down. And the ladies, the, I told, was telling the lady that yesterday. She said, oh, did you catch him? I go, oh, no. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> and I started laughing. She goes, why do you think that's funny? I go, whenever you watch people get hurt, it's funny, <laughs> you know, especially for other firefighters. Yes, no uh, doubt. Yeah. So, I, yeah. So usually it takes me quite a few tries to get through it. But for whatever reason, the new process that they had, the new equipment they had, I did it three in a row. So Three in a row. Mm-hmm. And let's let's talk numbers. Well, I, I'm, I'm a little bar- embarrassed to say, you know, I just – do you compared do you to the me? elite athlete? You know, I I got 118 percent. Wait, you just you told me 119. Oh well, I was trying to make you feel better. <laughs> I just sorry, I just slammed my book. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> um, so yeah, now should we talk about kind of how I felt about your numbers? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. When I heard that, my, the first thing that comes to my mind is. You are, man, you're really wasting a, um, a lung capacity talent. Like maybe you should be the one that's out, you know, putting in the miles right now. Maybe I could be one of those free divers. Oh, man. Yeah. I wonder what their lung capacity is. I don't know. But there's also a process out there called Wim Hof that you can start working on your breath holds. Yeah, yeah, you, you probably prob- not going to do that. With a, with a number like 119, you probably don't even need to do it, though. I mean, your, your lung capacity is probably already there. So, but so I, I mean, it, I mean, it's pretty impressive, really. I I would be in, I would be impressed too. I'm wondering like what Jason Leach has, cause he's kind of the resident swimmer. And I don't know many of the younger guys as well as I know the older guys, mm-hmm. but it was always, you know, Jason Leach was like the gold standard for swimming. Yep. Um, he and Kathleen McLaren, yep. uh, retired captain were kind of like those were the lung capacity people from, from my point of view. I don't know if they were or not, but um, I wonder how I rank. I don't know. I would like to know. We should get a hold of Jason and find out. Maybe I'm sure I, he knows his numbers. I've, I've got a lot of lung capacity, but it doesn't last very long. <laughs> so, and I don't know if this is true or not, but like, so I look at Jason and Kathleen and I wonder, you know, yes, they're awesome swimmers. You know, I mean, like I've said before, I think Jason probably could have been an Olympic swimmer, you know, if that was the path that he chose to go down in life. And now he's got kids that are kind of following in that foot in those footsteps. But, um, I wonder if it has to do with when you're swimming, you're taking a large breath and then you're holding that breath for a second. And then you're, because, t- you know, you're putting your head back in the water, which is different than most other endurance sports where you have a constant, you know, rhythmic breathing pattern. It could be. Maybe I was a, a breath holder when I was a child. <laughs> I have to ask when my you, mom. Maybe you, I hold my breath and I would pass out. And <laughs> <laughs> when you get in trouble and she'd tell you to sit in the corner, you yeah. just go to there and hold your breath. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing we talked about before we started this whole thing on endurance sports and, and um, emotional well-being, um, you called me a hippie. I did. And I and – I guess I'm struggling with that a little bit because I, I come from a city, rather large city, Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I asked why you called me a hippie, you said because I'm from Oregon. Well, I mean, truth be told, I've I've driven through a part of Oregon in my life, but the stereotypical is there like a, is it Oregonite or is there is there a word Oregonian? For, Oregonian, yeah. Yeah. So the typical Oregonian. I would say that when people think about them, they think of the tree-hugging hippie from the Northwest. So, but let me add to that. You also, while I was working for you, when you were a lieutenant and I was a firefighter, 
that was also when you were growing out your hair for locks of love or whatever it was. There's no pictures of that. You can't prove it. Oh, but I could go get like a a chief of the department who was a battalion chief at the time that would probably vouch and say, yes, because you've even told the story. I don't know who you're talking about, but I'm sure he's a known liar. (laughs) Chief Colas, if you're listening to this, (laughs) the words just came out of his mouth. (laughs) You didn't mention names. Well, it's Chief Colas. He's he's 100 percent accurate. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Actually, that was in the conversation we had when we interviewed Chief Colas, when we had him on the podcast. Um, you kind of told that story, but just so you know, like earlier on in my career, like I will always have that image of, of you, you know, in my head as clean cut as you try to be as a battalion chief, you know, I'm a dirty hippie at heart. You're a dirty, you're a dirty hippie, you're a dirty hippie at heart. Yeah. But you're all in, in real quick. You're also a wildland guy. So wildland guy with long hair from Oregon. You know, what else do you call that? There's a lot of strikes against me. I guess you didn't throw in Birkenstocks. I, I didn't, didn't. I didn't feel like I had to. If, if, you, if you're from Oregon, you know that the folks that go to Oregon State are more, more of your traditional hippies than those that go to Oregon, yeah. whom we call trust fund hippies. You were the trust fund hippie? No, I went to Oregon State. Okay. I was salt of the earth, Josh. How long was your hair when you were there? Well, I was here. I was at Forge, remember, when I got my degree? I did all that through Oregon State. Okay. Yeah, so right. I don't know how long was my hair at the time. <laughs> uh, it got pretty long. It took me seven years to get my two-year yeah. or four-year degree. Yeah. So, Well, but so when you, came to the, when you came to our fire department, you were in college at the time. You had, uh, you had started college, right? Because isn't that part of the story? You had started college. Yeah, friend- so I went to Portland Community College, okay. affectionately known as Harvard on the Hill. Yeah. Um, did the fire science thing. And while I was there, my, my father is a professor. He was an academic his whole career. And he said to me, get your first, get all your undergraduate, your first two years out of the way, excuse me, get your first two years, your lower division stuff out of the way. You'll get a general studies degree or something from it. But if you ever decide to go back to college, that'll all be taken care of because the Oregon school system at the time was different. And all the schools were the same. So all their phone systems were the same. All their class classes were the same. So Chem 101 was the same at Portland Community College as it was Chemeketa, as it was at Oregon, Oregon State, Western, wherever you go. So when I went back in like 2007, so like 17 years after I'd been there, mm-hmm. I said, hey, I want to go to your school. And they're like, oh, your first two years are done. You know, they just, I didn't have to take a math again. I didn't have to take, oh, I would want you to take English over again or anything like that. It was just, oh, no, you're done. It's, it was all taken care of at your Portland Community College. So my dad was right. If he's listening, which he doesn't, um, you're right. He was right. But I, I appreciate your dad's advice as well because, you know, my story is I went back to school and I knocked out all the fun classes that I wanted to take. And now I'm stuck because I've got all of those classes that you're talking about yeah. that are sitting on a list. Which is eerily similar to how you read books. Uh, it's very, very similar to how you read books, actually. <laughs> Interesting that you put you, that together. You get what you want out of it, and then you put them away. You know, So you got what you wanted out of your education, and you just put it away. Yeah. Well, let's talk about our guest this week. He's outside the fire department. He's not... Uh, 
generally associated with the fire department. I don't think he has any family in the fire service. He was in the Army. So why don't you introduce him and kind of give us kind of a, a quick idea of who he is and then uh, the topic we talked about this week. Yep, absolutely. And I, and I love this. So um, we brought in Noble Gibbons. And um, I, I kind of get into the story of how I met or how he kind of came to be here on our podcast. Um, so I'll kind of, I'll leave that um, for the po- podcast part of it. But you're right, yeah. Um, so Noble, um, he grew up, uh, his dad being a ER doctor. Um, I forgot what he said his mom was, but she was Hispanic and very, mm-hmm. like, stern. You know, you don't push her around or anything like yeah. that. Um, so that's kind of how he grew up. And then he got into West Point, um, made it through West Point, became a infantry officer, airborne ranger, jump master, um, you know, all the, all the, the big things in the army that are, you know, the, like, you know, like I'm in the army and I'm doing all the really cool things. And also the very type A world of, you know, we don't show emotions and, um, you know, we don't, we don't talk about them. It's like we do a job. Um, and so that's why it's very interesting that we found Noble and what his emphasis is on right now is emotional intelligence. And it's great to hear him talk about him being the man that who he is, his background, and what he looks like. You know, the first time I ever heard Noble talking, I was kind of picturing this um, maybe like a five, six-foot army guy with this huge, huge, um, you know, um, charisma around him just because of the way that he talks and turns out he's not you know he's uh, probably about six foot a little over that bald got a big long beard tattoos down to his fingers and he's just not your stereotypical um, you know person that you're going to see talking about emotional intelligence but here's what I really appreciate is one when I watch the charisma that this man has um, it's just it's very impressing to me because that's not something that I have and um, I asked Noble to come into our headquarters building one day and just kind of showed him around. And just the way that he carries himself, the smile that he has on his face, and the charisma that he has, people in, in our building just gravitated towards him. And it was just, it was awesome to see that. So that's why I was really excited about getting him on the, on the podcast. So um, I'm, I'm, I love the talk that we did. I'm really looking forward to getting this one out there and having people kind of get to know Noble Gibbons. Um, You know, at the very end of the podcast, he kind of talks about what he's doing and where you can find him. So I'll kind of leave that for there. One more thing that I want to say before we get into this, though, is I mentioned uh, John Roy's podcast. And I do, I want to go really quickly, go a little bit deeper into that because I appreciate what our John Roy, younger John Roy, is doing. Um, For everybody that's listening, please look up, um, and you can probably find it on most podcast apps, but um, it's called The Mentor Podcast, and it's John Roy and one of his buddies. And they're not telling you that they're mentors, but they're bringing in people who um, actively you know, kind of practice mentorship or are involved in mentorship. And they're really talking about that and having some good discussions. So if you're listening to this and you enjoy kind of what we're talking about, that's another one to, I would say, look that one up. So the mentor podcast, but back to noble. Um, I, yeah, am, you know, he's a lot of energy. Yeah. A lot of energy. 
Um, and I, you know, you can almost see past the charisma. He's very learned. He's very passionate about what he's talking about. Um, and that's respectable. I like that, that he's found something that's very interesting to him, very valuable to him. He wants to share that message with other people. And that's why I say once you get past the charisma, you see that there's a lot more depth to him as a person and him and his, his passion for emotional intelligence than just being very outgoing and energetic. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he's, he's very well learned. He's not an academic. He speaks... He kind of speaks to um, a more layperson level, which I could really identify with because I, I just my vocabulary isn't very vast. So when people start throwing out big words, I kind of get lost. Um, but he didn't do that. Um, yeah. Actually, he, he he did bring up one word: gaslighting. That we you know, <laughs> that you guys heard before we even started this. Um, and I had to ask him like, "What does this mean?" But anyway, that's a, that's a different story. But. Um, it was just great to talk to him. I'm glad we had him here. Um, I kind of am able to define emotional intelligence just a little bit better about, you know, um, and I just kind of boiled it down to uh, awareness of myself and awareness of how I interact with other people. Yep. And I, I, I couldn't make it more complicated than that. I just I needed something that simple because I was having trouble defining it. And he, you know, between the classes I've had with Dr. Long and, and, um, now talking to Noble, I'm, I, I think I'm better, better able to define it for myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the key to getting to understand emotional intelligence better, I'm no expert at it. I enjoy the topic. Um, I learned about it a few years ago. Um, but I think the key to beginning to learn it is what you said is first understanding how it applies to you. And then once you get how it applies to you, then I think that's when you start branching out in those other avenues. Um, I think it's also important for us to recognize what you just said about Dr. Long. Um, this is, we didn't do this podcast because um, the, you know, top of the organization asked us to, but coincidentally, they, you know, Chief McConnellog and, and uh, Dr. Judith Long have developed, um, it's already a three-part class, which they're giving to the BC level. So what I appreciate is the BCs are, beginning to talk about this more and now we're talking about it on a department-wide level so that maybe this kind of brings it all together a little bit more so we can kind of continue to grow you know in the learning of what this is yeah and i love those classes um, for the information it provides and the discussions it creates um, discussions that i haven't had before um, amongst my peers or really anybody uh, within the fire department. So it's, it's great. And we hope to, uh, work with Dr. Long to bring more emotional intelligence training out to the line and the department as a whole. So with that being said, let's go to the interview with Noble Gibbons. And without further ado, here we go.
All right, welcome everybody. Uh, we're interviewing today our first outside guest, technically outside the Fire family, uh, Noble Gibbons. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for Chief. coming. Um, let's start off by I want kind of Josh to, to to tell how you guys met up, and you can you can jump in anytime, obviously. Um, but how did you come here? So how did you get to to know? Josh and and how you guys got together to come here today for the podcast. Yeah, Noble, you mind if I kick this off? I I, I love this story. I mean, it kind of shows the power of social media and and everything else that we have today. But um, so I don't know how far back this was. I bet you it was about a year, year and a half ago. Um, I was listening to a podcast called The Military Leader, and I find a lot of value in that podcast. And I got to one particular episode where I listened to it probably five, six times. It was just, it really resonated with me. It really kind of spoke to what I was trying to learn. And um, so I felt like I got a lot out of it. And so then we fast forward about a year or so, year and a half to kind of now, or actually, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago. And my family and I were on a trip over to Crested Butte. And at the time, John Roy, and I'll have to give John Roy like a little bit of props on his podcast, but John Roy had just started his uh, podcast called The Mentor Podcast, which is awesome. And I was in Crested Butte listening to John Roy's podcast, and they're talking about mentors and people that have uh, meant something in their lives. And John Roy gets to this part where he goes, yeah, you know, one of my mentors in my personal life has been Noble. And when I hear this name, Noble, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, Noble, like, Noble's the guy that I listened to in the military podcast like six or seven times. Like, there's no way that this is the same person because that podcast was done out in California, you know, through, um, you know, phone or whatever you guys did it in. So I text John and I'm like, hey, man, um, Noble, like Noble Gibbons. And he goes, yeah, he's a really good friend of mine. I go, okay, you have to connect me with this person. And two days later, I get a phone call from Noble. And so that's kind of how we um, connected. And then uh, we went out for, you know, I think I had like a iced tea and you had like a lemonade and ate some some nachos and kind of discussed kind of leadership and emotional intelligence and things like that. And through that conversation, I just wanted to make sure that we brought him in here and got him on the air. So can you can you confirm that story? Because because <laughs> if you start talking about stalkers and stuff like that, we're gonna be like, oh, okay, all right, okay, this makes sense now. Yeah, that's right. No, that that is how it went down. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. yeah. All right. So welcome, welcome to the fire department. Uh, welcome to our kitchen table. This is where we come and. Um, you know, this is our kind of our informal space in the fire station where we just talk about stuff. Um, and so we've had a few people come in. Our goal was to do four of these this year. This is number seven. So we're kind of clicking along here. Uh, we like to talk about leadership things. Uh, Josh said he wanted to have you in here because of some of the leadership stuff you're talking about. So I think it's, it's great to have you here. Um, why don't we start by introducing yourself and just tell us how you got here. Tell us about your journey. Yes. Thanks, Chief. So my name is Noble, and I uh, am the podcast host of a podcast called EQ Gangster, and now I'm a corporate EQ leadership coach and consultant, and I've got a couple big corporate clients, and um, 
and it's and we've got a membership and stuff as well. So I'm, I'm I've been in the the emotional intelligence, emotional health space now for about four years, <clears throat> and it's been it's been quite a journey. And I am the least likely guy that should be teaching anybody about emotional health or emotional intelligence. So my background, I was born at an early age. <laughs> I was born on a day. <laughs> So, a long time ago. <laughs> That's right. From your mom? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. So, so my mom is a four foot ten little Hispanic lady, and my dad was a big giant white guy. And so I look like my dad, but my mom raised me speaking Spanish. And I don't know if you know much about Hispanic ladies, but this is this is a bit of a stereotype and a generalization. A lot of the Hispanic ladies that I know are very, very strong ladies, and so not that there aren't obviously other groups that are, have strong ladies. It just a lot of Hispanic ladies that I know are very, very intense. My mom being one of them, and in our house, we we yelled and screamed at each other, and and we would kind of yell and scream and then and then we'd stomp off into our respective corners of the house come back 30 minutes to an hour later and literally act like nothing happened so you know what's for dinner and uh, you know how'd the cubs do or you know what what's what are the bears you know i grew up in illinois and so so i learned from a from an early age that okay i'm feeling lots of these whatever these things are in my body that i'm feeling a lot of intensity going on, but clearly there there must not be important or relevant to life. So I learned very early how to stuff and avoid my emotions and feelings. And so carry that, and, and on a little side note there, every single one of us develops our emotional foundation in our childhoods. Good, bad, indifferent, la-di-da-di, everybody. So then I go to college in a very warm, fuzzy college called West Point. (laughs) So not a lot of discussion around feelings and emotions at at the United States Military Academy at West Point. Then I go to, I was an infantry officer, so I went to Ranger School, which is the Army's elite weight loss program great spot to lose weight i've always heard it's uh, the army's elite leadership program but i understand what you're saying <laughs> maybe that too maybe that too i lost a lot of weight in ranger school and from there i went to the 82nd airborne division i was i was an infantry officer in the 82nd airborne division and so there are a lot of similarities between the cultures of firefighters and the infantry where i came from and so I did that for a handful of years, and then after my handful of years in the 82nd and 18th Airborne Corps, then I kind of got into the business world and was have been an entrepreneur for 20, 24, 25 years now. And so I'm going to come all around to how I got to today. So about four or five years ago, we were in a very toxic business environment, very toxic. Now. In that journey, oddly enough, in that toxic business environment, we replaced my wife's income at 27 and replaced my income at 30. So financially independent at 30 years old, which was kind of neat to not have to have a job at 30 years old. The irony was, again, we did it in a very emotionally toxic environment. Why did that happen? Because I was emotionally needy 
and I was emotionally codependent. And number three, I was completely emotionally clueless. The old emotional clue bus drove by and I just waved. Never got, never learned anything about feelings and emotions. So why, that was why I could become successful in a very toxic emotional environment. <clears throat> in that environment, there was a narcissist. I never knew about narcissism before. Narcissism, narcissist, a narcissist is somebody who is, is basically an egomaniac. The world revolves around them. Everybody in their life is their minion and is their servant to accomplish their particular goals, dreams, and, and lifestyle. And, and they're, you know, we have a handful in, in the army, you know, in the military. It can kind of breed. When you have a high rank-based environment, it is very easy to, to get power trips. Very easy. Well, I am the, I'm the chief or I'm the, you know, whatever, right? So very easy to hide behind that title and rely and rest on a title versus really learning leadership skills. Um, and so anyway, so ran into this narcissist who was controlling and manipulating a lot of us, very negative experience. In parallel, completely unrelated to that experience, about the same time, I yelled at my wife three times in three weeks and my wife responded with three things. Number one, Noble, don't ever do that again. Number two, you've never done that before, which means number three, you've got more issues than Sports Illustrated, bro. Mm -hmm. Right? right? And so we went to counseling <clears throat> because I had said issues and my counselor introduced me to two revolutionary new concepts called feelings and emotions. And I was like, what? What's, what's that? <laughs> what, what is this Harry Potter sorcery voodoo you are talking about, right? Did you just cuss me out, bro? Because, like, I think that was an F word right there. But feelings, right? And so that's how I ended up being in, you know, almost my, at least halfway through my life, if not the third quarter of my life, being completely emotionally clueless. I had never been exposed to it, and I was never aware of it. So that began my emotional growth journey, growing my emotional intelligence. Two years into my emotional growth journey, like, Massive areas of my life are changing. My faith started to change. My marriage started to change. My parenting started to change. We homeschool. We've got a 13-year-old daughter. We homeschool. Been homeschooling our whole life with her. I mean, I'm a public school guy, but my our, we homeschool our daughter uh, for her whole life. And so my parenting started to change. My finances started to change. My fitness started to change. All of these areas, real areas, not warm, fuzzy areas, real areas of my life started to change. And I'm like, has all of this been a function of and a factor of my emotional dysfunction? I was shocked. I had no idea. And, it, and, it, and so I'm like, babe, we got to start a podcast sharing some of these real emotional lessons learned that I'm learning from my emotional cluelessness with other people in hopes that they would learn maybe some stuff from my dysfunction or my failures. And because I thought I can't be the only emotionally clueless guy out there. There's got to be other nobles out there that are as clueless or have been as emotionally clueless as me. And so we started the podcast. It was under a different name, EQ for Entrepreneurs. We've just recently gone through a, a rebrand. Now it's called EQ Gangster because a buddy of mine, so again, kind of tying in this, this question, a buddy of mine who's kind of been following my journey, my whole emotional growth journey. He's, he's, I said, I said, Alika, and he's a branding expert. His name's Alika, and 
I said, Alika, you watching me as an outside party, what makes me unique or different in the space of emotional health and emotional intelligence? He said, okay, Noble, you've been in this space for four years now. He said, how many big, bald, bearded, tattooed, former Army Rangers do you know teaching emotional intelligence? <laughs> I said, probably not too many. And he said, Noble, every time I, I talk to you about somebody, I'm, every time I talk to somebody about you, I always say, this guy is a gangster of emotional intelligence. And so he said, dude, you got to be the EQ gangster. And so that is how the name came about. And so I said, well, it's, I, I think it's probably pretty apropos because I'm not, I'm not the Harvard PhD guy in behavioral sciences with my horn rim glasses, my little pipe and my elbow patches on my, on my sports coat. You know what I mean? I'm, very Not different. that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> qualifying. That's right. Keep it safe. That's yeah. right. But it shows. It also shows the value in personal experience. You know, of of a lifetime. You know, whether you've got the degree to back it up or you know whatever kind of education you have. It's like I've got this experience. You know, and and you didn't go this far back, but I know that you also talked about um, your your father being a. ER doctor, room doctor. That's emergency right. room doctor and the things that he taught you and um, how he taught you to communicate and interview other people to basically learn from other people and absolutely you know, and that's what we're doing right now yeah that's right yeah he definitely both both him and my mom gave me a, a passion for learning they would ask if my dad was a genius genius guy like legit genius and he was nonstop asking people questions and my mom, too, just loves everybody, from the CEO to the janitor, both of them. And, and they were just fascinated by people. And I think that's what has also kind of carried on to me is I love learning about people and what makes people tick. And, and now, how do emotions impact us and all of our decision-making, whether we're aware of it or not? It impacts all of us. In fact, physiologically, our decisions go through the emotion part of our brain before it ever hits our logic part of our brain. Regardless if you're listening to this and you're the, well, no, but you don't understand. I'm just a logical guy and I don't have emotions. Or, or I, I just, I, you know, that doesn't relate to me or that doesn't yeah. impact me at all. No, dude, McFly, even you, right? It, it, it hits your emotion center before it ever hits your logic center. All of us, that's just how we're wired. Right, it's funny. So, it's, sorry, Chief. So what I was going to say is, First, define for everybody what emotional intelligence is, and I have a follow-up question for you about the, the story you just told. So let's start there so everybody kind of get everybody on the same page of what EQ is, emotional intelligence is, and uh, we'll carry on from there. Yeah, great question, Chief. So emotional intelligence is the ability to acknowledge, identify, process, and manage. Acknowledge, identify, process, and manage our own emotions and the emotions of those around us. So it's a, it's a, it's it's twofold, right? It's self and others. And another, more, maybe more simple way to say it is, emotional intelligence is comprised of four main components: self awareness, self management, social awareness, and social management. Those are the kind of the four industry standards, kind of four the the, the OG of emotional intelligence. A guy named Daniel Goleman wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence. It's very academic very kind of intense but that's kind of the he's kind of the OG that kind of brought up those two main areas now and I've got access to and I will get to this maybe later but I've got access to an emotional intelligence assessment psychometric uh, scientific 
EQ assessment that breaks down 15 different areas of emotional intelligence, but the industry standard is self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and social management. Okay, so you mentioned in your opening story that you were kind of a yell and scream and stuff it down. So when your wife said the three, three magic things to you, what made you not stuff it down and what drove you to become emotionally intelligent? Excellent question. When I started to hurt the ones that I loved around me, for me, it finally became a non-negotiable. When I saw the impact of my behavior and I could no longer control it, before I could control my emotions and feelings, that brings up an excellent thing I want to share here. When every, and we all do, again, we all begin our emotional foundation in our childhoods. What happened for me is every time I'd stuff and avoid as a little kid, it was a cute furry little monkey, right? This little fuzzy little monkey that I could stuff and avoid and kind of bury him in the basement and it wouldn't impact me. But every time we have an emotional injury after emotional injury after emotional injury, we're feeding that cute furry fuzzy little monkey that we, again, stuff and avoid and bury in the, in, in the basement. Well, what happens is when you stuff and avoid your emotions and feelings over years, and in my case, decades, that cute, furry, fuzzy little monkey became an 800-pound gorilla that I could no longer stuff and avoid in the basement. And unaddressed emotional issues don't get better over time. They actually compound. Unaddressed emotional issues do not get better over time. They actually compound. So what happened in my case is that cute, furry, fuzzy little monkey got to a point where he became the 800-pound gorilla that I could no longer lock that basement door. That lock that I had put on emotionally, now that that gorilla exploded out and started to lash out at my wife. There was a couple times, there was one time I remember when my daughter was 11, started to hit the old preteen emotional hormonal cocktail stuff, right? As a preteen, and she got emotional over something and she kind of lost it emotionally. That I immediately, when she went to attend emotionally, I immediately went to attend emotionally. And it scared me to death how, what my, I almost yelled at my daughter. Like I almost saw like white. I was so angry and I literally had to leave the room. And my, my physical and physiological response to my daughter terrified me. I'm like, and then, and then around that time from when I yelled at my wife, and so those those two instance, incidences, I was like, I, I, I have to figure out what's wrong with me. I cannot, I'm starting to not be able to control whatever it is that's going on inside of me. I have to figure out what's going on so I don't hurt those around me that I love. And that feeling of not being able to control, that feeling of being out of control was a scary feeling for me. And I think it's... It's common for us, when I say us people, not just fire service people, to not know how to handle these things. And so it's not something that we can necessarily do by ourselves. We may recognize the issue, but not have the tools and abilities to help fix it. And so I think the key that you brought up is you told somebody. Um, It broke with your wife. Your wife said you need to get help. And you went and got help rather than taking what is easy and what was natural for you and just stuffing it down and avoiding it and ending in divorce and 
estrangement from your wife and probably disconnect from your daughter. And so there was a, a lot of negative impact that could have happened, but you had the courage to go find the help to make things better because there was some value in those relationships that you wanted to preserve. So, you know, again, that's an excellent question, excellent point you bring up, Chief, because so, something else, it's, it's kind of the equivalent, again, just using a firefighter analogy is if, if, if and when, right, if I ever had a fire in my house, how smart would it be for me to try and handle that? Obviously, I'm going to try to do the initial damage control, but if it starts to get beyond my ability to handle it or control it, guess who my first call is going to be? It's to you guys. Why? Because you guys are trained in this stuff. So for me to have a situation in my house, i.e. arguing with my wife and not being in control of my emotions, yelling at my daughter, potentially yelling at my daughter, being finding out all this ineffectiveness and harm I am doing to all these relationships around me, why on earth would I not call somebody who is trained in this area? For me, I wanna surround myself with people that are smarter than me in whatever area I'm not smart in. And if I am not smart in an area, in this case, i.e. emotional health, emotional intelligence, who can I call? What's the bat phone number that I can call to find somebody who's, who is, is trained or good in this area? Something we talked about before we started rolling and recording was in, in the Western culture, men specifically are not trained to be in touch with our feelings and emotions. In fact, we're almost trained not to be in touch with our feelings and emotions. Don't cry, son. Crying will not do anything for you. Your feelings and emotions like, are worthless, right? They don't, they don't help out anything. Suck it up. In fact, man, I just talked to one of my clients yesterday. Whew, talked to this guy yesterday, and he, he's, he's kind of our age. He was raised by a, by a single dad in, who was a, a construction guy who left, and when his dad would go on jobs, he would be left alone at the age of nine years old for two months, three months at a time. So he learned very early on, crying does nothing. Stop crying, figure it out. You're the man of the house. I'll be back in two or three months. Imagine the emotional consequences of being at, a home, at home alone for two or three months at a time at nine years old. Now today, that of course would be child abuse. Right, back then, how many latch latchkey kids is what we called right. it back in our days, right? So, the so for me again, kind of full circle here. I want to learn how to do stuff the right way from people who are trained in that particular area. And for me, my ego and pride has got me in so many screwed up situations. If I feel my pride and ego rising up like okay i don't need to talk to josh about how to handle this fire no 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 that that is like my trigger to reach out to josh and find out how to deal with fires specifically because i don't want to talk to josh about this in an area that he's trained in right because i know i have sabotaged myself so many times before because of my pride and ego right and that really ties into allowing yourself to be vulnerable you know, just once you open up that door and are willing to ask that question and accept that feedback, then that's where that big growth really starts to happen. So I, I, I mean, you touched on a lot of different things, um, but it really relates to what we do. Um, I've told you this before. We've got a psychologist on staff here 
And like, if I need to go talk to the psychologist, I call up Judith and I go talk to the psychologist where that wasn't a thing in our world for forever, you know, I, not even a fire department thing. So I don't know how many other fire departments out there are doing that. Um, but we as an organization from the top down are really starting to get in touch with uh, the idea or you know, becoming more aware of the idea that, hey, everybody has feelings, everybody has emotions, they're okay, and we need to learn what they mean and, and how to control them, use them. So, so here, so to that point, that was beautiful. You, you walked right into the old ambush, bro. <laughs> how many of us are emotionally out of shape? Yeah. Oh, on- <laughs> how many of us are emotionally unfit? How many of us are, you know, so, okay. You, you know, once you once you become a firefighter, you lost the right to be unfit. Well, for me, that means emotionally and mentally also. Right. If if you and and I think this is probably very very safe to say in the firefighter world, it a hundred percent applies to the infantry military world as well. If if the soldier has an issue at home, there's a really good chance he's going to have an issue at the job. So if if that soldier is not mentally and emotionally fit, which is something that the army is is in some cases, and this is just my little personal experience and, and input from my classmates are all full-blooded colonels, and I've got some generals now in my classmates. The Army is is doing a little bit about this, but they're addressing the symptom in most cases rather than the source. We talked about this the last time a little bit. They're trying to do arrange the the shells on the board rather than deal with the soldier, helping the soldier become more healthy emotionally well well no we need to we need to make sure that he you know we close the abc the, the alcohol store sooner and we you know uh, make sure we know where his weapons are at all times and all that kind of stuff okay but what are you doing for the soldier himself herself how are you helping that individual soldier become healthier mentally and emotionally right so for me you know emotional and mental fitness are as important as physical fitness right right and and never before has it been more important in the past or more clear, let me say it that way, more clear and apparent than in the last 18 months with all the stuff that's gone on in our in our country and around the world. And, I, and that's what I was going to I was going to answer your question was you said how many firefighters are out there with emotional issues? Well, we're finding out right now. Oh, absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. but luckily, I think the stigma is coming down as far as you know. Um, going to counseling and getting some help and understanding that there are resources within the fire department to help you. Um, people are becoming uh, less fearful of that. Um, they're becoming more aware of how they're feeling and how they can get help. Uh, and hopefully we're, we're touching a few people. I'm sure there's a bunch out there that probably still need help. Uh, and if they're listening here, please contact us because we know what direction to, to, to head you in. Uh, to get that help um, but we're finding out every single day this pandemic has brought about a lot of different emotions for people um, good and bad so sure here's an awesome thing is what you're talking about is being proactive versus reactive you know we work we live you know in the fire department we live in a very reactive world people call 911 and we go um, people have mental health problems. Okay, let's get them to the right people. Let's get them some help. But what you're talking about is doing that work on the front side and putting the effort in to understand my feelings and emotions and be able to communicate that and use it effectively. 
Um, and then the other thing, this kind of goes back to what you were saying in the beginning. I can't remember how you worded it, but when you look at this awareness, um, the, the words that I wrote down was I, you, them, and we. You know, so like what you were saying, you start with, okay, I start with myself. How am I feeling? And then how are you feeling? How are you guys feeling? And then how are we as a group feeling? And I think it's important, you know, to kind of recognize all those factors, which you kind of touched on that, but, you know, how do you feel about that? Absolutely. Emotional intelligence impacts, it impacts everybody. One of the, one of the things I think I said this last time we were together is every day and in every reaction, we are on the receiving end of each other's emotional intelligence or lack thereof every day and in every interaction. Right now, you're on the receiving end of my emotional intelligence, I'm on the receiving end of your emotional intelligence. And that can be positive and negative. One of my other clients I work with today, I said, I said, have you ever had a leader who has brought the best out of you and made you become the best version of yourself? Go ahead, Josh. Give it, <laughs> give it to me. I'm at, I'm at a loss for words. <laughs> You, you know this. Uh, so I've worked for Chief White in a few different capacities over the years. So hopefully we built a relationship where, like, when I ignore him when he says stuff like that, I don't get written up for it. But <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right? And, and the opposite can occur. Have you ever had a leader who's brought the worst out of you? Mm-hmm. Th- that's a function, right? I'm getting a witness over here, right? So that happens. That's a function of EQ. That's a function of emotional intelligence. Both those examples. Someone that brings the best out of you, someone that brings the, brings the worst out of you. So what? So it'd be fascinating to do a poll, right, to all the firefighters in the respective stations and stuff. That question. Yeah. The, the toughest part about that for us is we are not good at addressing that negative side. You know, it, it's great to go up and be like, hey, Chief, well, you're the best boss I've ever had. You know, but if I'm having a problem with him in our department, um, we haven't, I don't believe we're good at having that conversation of going up above and saying, hey, Chief White, you know, like the way that you reacted to what I wanted to do the other day or this or that, um, you know, this is how it made me feel. But this is where the emotional intelligence comes in. It's kind of giving you that, you know, that that way to have that conversation, I think. Yeah, we've we've had classes on conversations in the past and we haven't done well to follow those up but those those tough conversations are what we call courageous conversations we're not real good at it and I, and I'm not sure you know we're, we as a society are really good at it right now we can't more than any time I know of in history we're not good at talking to each other and I don't know if it's the phones I don't know if it's the disassociation with people and building relationships in general because we've separated ourselves by you know, you, you go to dinner and you see a family and they're all on their phones and nobody's talking to each other. Um, so we're just, we're not as good as communicating as we used to as, as a society, I think. And I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. And it's not getting better. The more technology that's involved, the more social media that's involved, the, the less effective we're getting in those, those interpersonal skills and interpersonal interactions and that emotional intelligence. The other thing too, and I love that you guys have the courageous conversations and you, you've done some classes on that. I, I talked to a guy who owns a big leadership company in the Silicon Valley recently and he has these, he's like, Noble, I've got all these great leadership behavior models. I said, how effective are all those leadership models and systems and processes and tools 
with somebody that has low EQ. You, you still right. have someone that's dysfunctional trying to apply a great tool. Right. So how effective ultimately is that great tool going to be? So again, it's the analogy of an amazing uh, a fire station, amazing SOPs, amazing principles, oh, here's how we're going to throw the, the, the ladders, all this kind of stuff, the hoses, with a guy that's 475 pounds. How effective is he going to be with all that amazing training? Yeah. Well, and since we're coming from the training division, we're not giving them the right tools, not making them the firefighters we need them to be to use that equipment. So, yeah. Hey, just a little boost for the for the training division, yeah, right? Exactly, like the importance yeah. the importance of our jobs. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's we, right. we mystify everybody so they can't get rid of us. <laughs> <laughs> we tell everybody how important we are, and at some point they'll believe us. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's right. How would since we were kind of on that topic, how would you? Um, and let's just go from the subordinate to um, boss side. Like, how would you have that conversation? You know, just you've got you got a boss that. Um, you know the the way that he talks to you, he makes you feel like. You know, you're you're tiny. You know, how do you how do you do that? So. Sure. Amateur. <laughs> Spam. <laughs> uh, apparently, my car's uh, warranty is. <laughs> you need Geico, right? Yeah. <laughs> so here, there's a <laughs> that question definitely exceeds this this podcast right. episode. There is so much that goes into uh, being able to do this. There's culture involved. There's emotional intelligence involved. There are tools involved. There is teachability and coachability involved. I am right now in the middle of a conflict with one of the organizations I'm involved in with somebody who has very low emotional intelligence. So even though I have been working on my people skills and tools and personality and understand people for over two decades, what makes this conversation with this particular individual uh, extra sensitive and challenging is this particular person's emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the lack of. Right. And so even though I have a lot, in fact, I, I, this is what happened. I had a conversation with this individual and I, I made it super safe. I, may, I was very clear in my communication and expectations of this particular relationship and of what my expectations were of this individual. And again, let me, let me go back, I made it very, very safe. And even though I made it safe and I was very clear in my communication, you wanna make sure you address behavior, not the person. Behavior, not the person. And even knowing all the tools, and, and there's a book that I highly recommend called Crucial Conversations. If you have never read that book, that is the one of the best books on dealing with conflict that I've ever read. But again, that amazing book, without the emotional intelligence to implement those great tools, is still gonna fall short. The response of this individual, they said they, were com they felt completely attacked by me. Now, I've been doing this a long time. I, I made it safe. I was calm. I was never emotional. I addressed behavior. I didn't address uh, the person. And so now I know where this per that adversity and conflict reveals the emotional intelligence of everybody involved. 
Conflict and adversity reveals the emotional intelligence of everyone involved. Now, I have not responded to this, this person yet. When I do, I'm going to validate and affirm their emotions because how they feel is real. You don't have to agree with somebody's feelings and emotions in order to validate and affirm them. But validating and affirming this person is going to be very important for me. Ultimately, what I have to assess is, is this person teachable or not? Because this person so far has revealed they are not teachable. So if somebody is not teachable, that makes it, so they have a fixed mindset. Hey, look, I, hey, Josh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. Suck it up. Is how That's how I learned at the military school, of, right. the infantry school of conflict. I, I hurt your feelings. Yeah, let's put on some boxing gloves. And, right? Let's roll. Let's yeah. do jits with Chief. Yeah. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> yeah. So, I would, I would, just real quick, sorry to interrupt. Um, so as you assess that person and that interaction, where do you feel that he's weak in those four points that you told us about earlier in emotional intelligence? Excellent question. So number one is is so i'm going to say a few so self-awareness they're not aware how they're coming across most people are not are you aware of how you come across to other people most people don't know the answer to that question they will tell you oh i come across great there's another book called leadership and self-deception Ten thousand employees in a company were evaluated and asked where they felt they racked and stacked in their organization of all their peers of 10,000 is a massive company. 90% of the 10,000 put themselves in the top 5%. So that's that's, oh, a, wow. that's a self-awareness issue. Yeah. We talked about that last time. So self-awareness is one area. The second thing is self-management, not being able, so number one, you're not aware of how you come across or how you, you know, your emotions and feelings, but number two, you can't manage them want, you know, now that they're affecting you, right, affecting all of us, you're not doing a very good job of, of managing those emotions. And again, the social awareness, again, that's the aspect too, is you're not aware of how you come across to other people. So social awareness. And then, especially in groups, we talked about this a little bit, or maybe I was talking to John about this, but a lot of leaders are not aware of how they come across in their in their stations. And, and, and the impact and the corresponding impact of, of how of that unawareness. So really it hits all four of those of those areas. How do you address when you're the receiver of some of these conversations? So if you come to me and you you know you make it safe and what what skills do you use in that conversation from your perspective that because I, I I feel like there's a fine line between having that conversation and being patronizing. Like if you come to me and you sound like, well, it's, it's safe and blah, blah, blah. I, I don't want to go cut the crap. I don't, I don't really feel like you care about that that much. Let's just have an honest conversation. You know what I'm saying? And maybe right. that's a self-awareness thing or maybe that's low emotional intelligence. I don't know, <laughs> but it's like seems to me you could you could come off as patronizing if you don't if you're not good at the, having that conversation. And, and you're absolutely right. You can absolutely come across as patronizing if you and placating if you don't do it right. It's, it is definitely a, a line there. And for me, I would say, hey, Chief, can I ask you about a couple things I want to get some, some of your perspective on that I'd like to have a better understanding of based on a recent conversation? No, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. So that yeah. would be that would be how I would, and that's all I would say. I wouldn't say, "Oh, chief, you're right." I wouldn't be doing more tap dancing and stuff. I want to have a better understanding. So already, I'm I'm putting it on me, mm-hmm. not on you. If I say, "Hey, chief," you know what you said last week in that conversation to me really upset me. You're already you potential to have your walls up. Sure. But if I say, hey, chief, I just need to have a better understanding based on a conversation we had last week. Now your, your walls haven't come up and now we can, that kind of sets the stage to have an open conversation. I think the EQ side of that comes down to, are you recognizing whether you're being authentic or not? Like, am, do I really mean this or um, am I just trying to manipulate? Actually, which is a completely different conversation because then you talk about okay what's the difference in a manipulation and and leadership you know I don't want to get into that right now but just came to my head Um, but you know I think when you come come into these conversations and you are being authentic and you do care about the person you know then and you care about the organization and the mission vision values all those kind of things I think that plays into it a little bit so here's what's tough about being authentic I thought I was authentic for most of my life Mm -hmm not even realizing that I wasn't even aware of who I was because another issue, I didn't tell you guys all my issues, so I'm a recovering people pleaser addict and I have been emotionally needy for, for most of my life. And being a people pleaser addict, addicted to people pleasing, I had no idea who I was. How can you be authentic if you don't really know who you are? And if you're not self-aware, how can you know who you are to even be authentic? Yeah. Right. So that so in, in my two cents, based on my people pleasing addiction background and history, I thought I was authentic. But again, how do you know how authentic you are if you're not even self-aware? That's a lot to think about. A lot to chew on. <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to chew uh, on. Hey, so can I give you a real quick? Um, let me just give you a real world scenario based on everything that you just said. And I'm going to throw myself under the bus. Um, just not too long ago, I had a conversation with somebody where I didn't go into it with the right emotional intelligence, the right thought process. And what I did was I immediately put this person on the defensive and without even recognizing it. And the conversation went completely sideways. And I have to take a lot of ownership in that because my approach could have been completely different if I would have used the tools that you're just talking about. Um, because really the conversation I basically started with, you did, you know, and I didn't really talk about, um, you know, um, what was the words that you used? Well, see, so see, cheesy quote, but I'm a cheesy quotes guy, seeking first to understand then be understood. Right. Hey, Josh, can I just have a better understanding, man, of why did you make this particular decision? Just so I can understand kind of what your grid was. Right. Very safe versus, Josh, that was a stupid decision. Yeah. Now we're throwing down. Put the gloves on. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a, you know, a topic that I learned about about three or four years ago, and I've been trying to implement in practice, but it just goes to show it just takes that one little thing, that one little incident, and the wrong couple words, and the whole thing can get spun off in the wrong direction. And it's very hard to recover from that. Once you get emotionally triggered and emotionally hijacked, it, it physiologically takes a while for those chemicals that are causing the emotional hijacking to, to subside, to get back into your logical side of your brain again. Right. And, and it is very, that's why I say, hey, Josh, clearly I, I said some things that upset you. I totally apologize. Please know that was not my intent. And I want to, I truly want to better understand kind of where you're coming from. Now, Josh, I'm going to leave this up to you. We can come back in maybe 15 minutes, go take a break, 
come back and, ha and, and kind of finish that conversation. But please know I had no intention of upsetting you. Clearly I did, and I am sorry, and I take full responsibility for that. Would you like to take a break, or would you like to continue the conversation? Yeah, and with my emotions, I'm going to need to come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I, you know, being there for that situation, I think you handled it well because you recognized that it was getting more amped up than you. Th I think you wanted it to be and became more of an emotional conversation rather than two people just talking about things that happened in the drill. Yeah, true. And absolutely. so you, you walked away and you, you, your, your level of emotion subsides a lot quicker than most, I think, and we're able to come back within five or ten minutes and re-engage the conversation. Now, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't ready. He was still emotionally charged about it, and, and so um, I think you handled it well the best you could in that situation and, and and maybe it's how you follow up with that you go visit that station now mm -hmm. right now that it's been a couple weeks since that's happened and say hey I just want to talk to you and let's you know make sure we're all squared away on this you know so I, I, there's going to be emotional conversations you know people yeah. act and react and um, I don't think you should beat yourself up for one bad bad a conversation or one uh conversation that was kind of went off the rails on you because you, you handled it and you recaptured what you were trying to accomplish and, and, and re-engaged. Right. Really, those are, I mean, to me, those are the best learning experiences. You know, I learned from my mistakes more than anything else. And not saying that that was a mistake, but what my take home from that was if I had not been on a similar, you know, this kind of emotional intelligence journey that I've been trying to follow, I don't think I would have recognized that. And that conversation could have gone a lot worse. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree. I appreciate the kind of the support in it. You know, it's, I just think for me, it's like, this is great learning. Well, it took awareness to even recognize it, like you said, right? right? If, you, if you didn't have that level of, uh, of self-awareness, you wouldn't even recognize that you had done anything wrong, which in most people don't even recognize when they make mistakes or make errors. Because another aspect of emotional intelligence is that, emo again, the, the social awareness is the nonverbals. Right. Most people can't read the nonverbals of what, what are the not, and the majority of communication is nonverbal. So right. what are the nonverbals saying? Your words may be saying this, but your your body is saying something completely different. But that's is that a, is that a self awareness thing, or what what piece of the emotional intelligence does that you know when you increase one of those four pieces, which piece of that is the one that increases effectiveness and efficiency and you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say self awareness and self management. Sure. As I have so so I think that's the thing that's happened unconsciously uh, you know let's say so unconsciously prior to my emotional growth journey let's say my emotional bandwidth was was occupied by 80% with emotional issues that were going on underneath the surface that I wasn't even aware of so now I've only I'm living my day-to-day -day life on 20% of bandwidth and that's why so my effectiveness and it used to really upset me, man. Why do I just shut down after so many details? It used to, I'm a leader. I'm a, I feel like I'm a pretty decent leader. What am I doing with my productivity? Procrastination used to kill me. Now I jump on stuff right away. That's, that's unheard of for my personality, for me to do that. But now that I've, so now that I've, I've started to heal all these different areas over the last four years, now 
I don't, now my emotional, I guess, space, whatever it's been taken up, let's say I'm at 40% now. So I'm at 60%. Now I have 60% emotional capacity to handle all this other stuff with now 40% is I'm working, still working through stuff. So imagine just that percentage difference, whereas before it was, I only had 20% capacity. Now I've doubled that by, you know, having 40% available, whatever my math is, I've already lost track of my numbers. But that I think, so between the self-awareness and the self-management, now I've got a more a more emotional capacity to handle details, to, to start tackling tasks right away versus procrastinating and putting them off and putting them off. Now I don't feel the emotionally encumbered. Now I feel I've got a lot more freedom emotionally to like, okay, now I can tackle this task right now. I can handle these details. I can handle all this stuff. It's now I'm not getting bogged down. So the discord is, is personality traits, right? So Disc, that's, yes. yeah, so that's, um, so do you see as you've become more emotionally intelligent that your disc scores have changed? So you're not the, what you were maybe labeled as before? Another excellent question. So emotional intelligence absolutely directly impacts our personality. And yes. So to answer your question, the bluff, the bottom line up front. So before, so when I was emotionally unhealthy, emotionally needy and a people pleaser addict, I was I off the scale. I was an influencer off the scale. So in another way, if you, there's another book called Personality Plus, so sanguine, choleric, melancholy, and phlegmatic. I was sanguine off the scale, the extrovert off the scale because I was emotionally needy. So another one thing I like to say is, what does the, what, what personality would you be or, or what is the emotionally healthy version of your personality? versus the emotionally unhealthy version of your personality. So now I'm still I, I'm still influencer, but I'm a much more chill influencer because now I don't, I'm not in every interaction with people now, I don't care if you like me or not. Before, I I couldn't live without you liking me. I had to jump through all these emotional cheetah flips for you and you and you and all of these guys to try to get approval and validation from you guys to validate my own worth and identity. Now, I don't care if you approve of me or not. I'm still an I, but not ne- but I'm not an emotionally needy I. Does that make sense? Sure. So my my bent has not changed, but my you know my the extremeness of my personality has definitely changed. I'm much more chill than what I used to be. Yeah, and that Right, goes right back to the growth that we talk about with everything else, whether it's, you know, a tactical or a skill or, um, you know, how you feel about yourself, things like that, how we can continue to grow and kind of speaks to why we have to continue to practice this, talk about it and learn more of it. Let me say this too, before you jump into something. So speaking on that practicing, one thing I want to make sure I cover with you guys is back to that emotional fitness program. I want to give some practical tools to the firefighters that they can implement and apply today as soon as they get done listening to this as part as to begin their emotional fitness program. So one of the things that I talk about is going going aped. Going ape, right? So using my little fuzzy monkey analogy to the 800 pound gorilla, if you if you put into your emotional fitness program going aped, that's part of that's part of this program you can do. So A the A stands for acknowledge. Acknowledge your feelings and emotions. What what am I even feeling? In order to do that, now three or four years ago, I wouldn't have even known how to answer that. I have no idea what I'm feeling. I'm feeling, I have no idea. You go to Google, print out emotion wheel. There's a, a wheel of emotions that will pop up. Print that out, stick that, 
stick it on the kitchen table, stick it on the refrigerator, stick it on your, your office desk, wherever you're at. To acknowledge that A of the aped, that A, acknowledge your feelings and emotions, pull that emotion wheel out and, and figure out which emotions you're feeling right now. You can do this exercise five times a day, once a week, but begin this journey. Part of, of that acknowledge is, and part of your emotional fitness and health is your emotional vocabulary. You have to grow your emotional vocabulary in order to get more emotionally fit. P, the, the, the P is permission to feel. So A, P, permission to feel. Give yourself permission to feel those emotions that you just acknowledged in that emotion wheel in that previous exercise under the A. Give yourself permission to feel. Physiologically, it takes uh, our bodies 60 to 90 seconds to feel an emotion. Set your watch alarm, set your phone alarm to 60 seconds. Start with that first emotion, angry. I'm feeling angry right now. Let yourself feel angry for 60 seconds. Then go to the next emotion, rejected. I feel Chief uh, uh, Justin rejected me. Okay, feel rejection for 60 seconds. Sadness, right? Go down the list. So permission to feel. E is express. There's all kinds of research that talks about the catharsis, the healing power that comes from just writing down your thoughts. Journal all your thoughts down. And you can do, there's three ways to journal your thoughts. You can say, if you know, you got faith background, write a letter to God. And, hey, this is how I'm feeling. I'm really angry God at Justin because he, whatever, right? I'm, write down your, your feelings. Why are you pointing all these to me? What? <laughs> I mean, John. You're the, you're the boss. <laughs> hey, it always comes from the top. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Own it. Like, man, I just met you. <laughs> you know me so well already. That's right. <laughs> nothing, nothing intentional. <laughs> so, 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 so you can write it that way. The next way you can write it is in bullets. You can write bullet form, just bullets, right? Just write down some general thoughts down. And then the third way you can write down in the expression piece, right? So A, acknowledge. P, permission to feel. E is express. You can also write a letter to the person that is causing you to feel this way. Like literally write them a letter of how you feel. But here's the deal. You don't have to give it to them. Don't give it to them for at least 24 hours. <laughs> no, no. You, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to give it to them at all, right? You can yeah. throw it away. You can burn it, whatever, right? So that's the A-P-E. The D, aped, is discuss. I talked to my therapist last week. She said, Noble, when people start feeling depressed, they start to isolate themselves. When they start to isolate themselves, the only voice they start to listen to is themselves. When you're in a depressed state, you can start to create some crazy stories that, that you will believe yourself. You need to start discussing, so that D there, you need to start discussing with other people that, that are thinking rationally and logically and that are not in your head with you to help give you another perspective of reality, another yeah. touch point of reality. Uh, I love that. One of the things that I've heard, I can't remember um, the, the guy that was talking about it, but he says, um, <laughs> I'm going to put a, one of those different kind of rings on. Um, he talks about the story that I tell myself. You know, and the first time I ever heard that, I'm like, oh, man, that is huge because I tell myself all kinds of crazy stories. And my wife's like, where are you coming up with this? I'm like, it's all in my head. She's like, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So that that exercise, go aped things that you can implement today, immediately with any situation, any, any scenario, every single one of your fire missions that you guys do on a daily basis, right? You can, you can have, go aped for every single one of those missions, a fight with your wife, upset at your child, uh, a, a ultra marathon you're getting ready to do. You can do this exercise and apply it to anything, any aspect in your life. But I recommend again, 
do it consistently, make it a, a part of your life, not just a one-time occasion. Yeah, the, wor- the words that you were saying, um, being able to put a name to it, uh, that's something that I personally experienced. I went through um, a little time period where I was mentally unhealthy, but I didn't understand what it was. And it wasn't until I went to counseling and, and felt better and put a name to it and went, oh, that's what depression is. That's what anxiety is. That's what these things are. Like, I had no idea. We run on people all the time. They're like, oh, I have anxiety. And we're like, yeah, right. You got anxiety. Okay. And then when you experience it, but then are able to talk about it, put a name to it. It really, like to me, that's made a, um, played a big role in helping me work through, you know, kind of what I was going through mentally at the time. So cheesy quote here, one of my special forces buddies, special operations guys with some special missions unit background experience. He said, name it. If you name it, you can tame it. And physiologically, there's a reason for that. Our brain is a master filer and organizer. When we can't name or identify what that emotion is, our brain is just is just bouncing all over the place. As soon as you name that emotion, now your brain can start working on it because now it can label it and start filing it. So anyway, that's another great, yeah, great point. Awesome. Three favorite resources to increase your emotional intelligence. So number one, for, now this is, for, I'm going to say it for layman because that's my background. I was a non-EQ list reading guy, listening to guy is I would recommend my podcast. And the only reason is because I don't have a Harvard PhD background and I don't have fancy stuff. I talk about it like a retired, you know, former uh, uh, army ranger guy stuff. So just to begin learning some of the vocabulary and some of the lessons that I have learned. So EQ Gangster would be one thing. Uh, EQGangster.com is our website. Um, so grow your vocabulary, listen to the podcast. Number two would be a book called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Now, there's a, again, I remember mentioned Daniel Goleman's book. I wouldn't recommend starting at Daniel Goleman's book for the average noble, right? I would recommend Emotional Intelligence 2.0 because it's, it, it's just a, a, a broader level, bigger, higher level perspective, uh, brush stroke, broader brush stroke perspective on emotional intelligence. Um, that would be uh, the second thing. And the third thing, okay, this is the third thing. So glad you asked that. The third thing is the Mood Meter app. It's called Mood Meter. It's 99 cents on the app store. It's not mine. I have no idea who developed it. But it helps begin developing your self-awareness and your self-management because it asks you two questions. What are you feeling? And it gives a whole bunch of examples and ideas, uh, actual emotions that will pull up. And then why are you feeling that? And just answering those two questions is a great place to start growing your emotional intelligence. Um, mood meter app in the app store, 99 cents. Again, I don't know who, who, who made it, whatever, but it's an excellent tool that I use with all my clients. I use it myself as, as I'm continuing to grow my emotional self-awareness and self-management. That sounds really great. Well, as we're, as we're getting close to wrapping this up, I do want to use kind of one more big word. Um, I don't want to go crazy on this one because I want to say this one. We've already got part two where we're going to talk about courageous conversations. Now, part three, um, I want to throw out um, the um, – I just lost my train of thought, too uh, – the, uh, the word shame. And 
how that relates to emotional intelligence because this whole time we've been talking and I've been relating this to our job we on the fire department you know like infantry guys we're our own worst enemies we're our own worst worst critics and we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people on the job and that can almost make or break somebody's career, at least their shift, their week, their month or year or their career, you know, by comparing themselves to other people. And I think emotional intelligence plays a big role in this is to be able to recognize, okay, if I am comparing myself to somebody, you know, what is it? Is it because um, why are, are they better than me because they've been on the job longer or because they've trained harder and kind of looking that from the from a personal side and, and using that emotional intelligence to kind of work through some of those problems. So, um, you know, that's that's one of the things. And I know that's not what we talked about, but that's what I got out of this is like when I relate it back to the job, just understanding where I'm at on the job and what that means. Am I brand new or have I been on a long time? And if I've been on a long time and I've got people that are doing things and I'm comparing myself and I feel ashamed because they're doing it better than me, being able to recognize that and go, okay, this is a fixable problem. This is about me and it's something that I can do better. Yeah, absolutely. You know, shame is is very, very real and absolutely has a massive impact, a lot of consequences for shame. And none of which, or, or most of which, are not super productive consequences right. around shame. And so, you know, having the, the awareness, the emotional, the self-awareness to know, okay, I'm, I'm feeling shame. Why, why am I feeling shame? So another huge thing about, emo, about emotions is figuring out the origin story. Where did that shame come from? And most people don't think deeply enough to figure that out. When you can figure out the um, the origin story, and this is why uh, shame's a great a great point because shame is a big emotion. Is w- what's the origin story of that shame? Most of us have an origin story of an emotion that starts back in childhood. If you can figure out that connection, you can start healing and growing in that area so that you can start so that shame can have less and less of an impact on you. Comparing ourselves to each other definitely has, you know, has a lot to do with emotional awareness and emotional maturity. In in some cases, so there's, you know, in some cases, comparing can be helpful to see what what's the culture like, where is everyone at? Okay, man, I need to step up my game. That's fine. But when it turns into shame, a negative, unproductive emotion that does not lead to positive behavior then that's then you need to reevaluate and maybe change the story that you're telling yourself that's attached to shame right and, and speaking of shame I, this is another big thing I want to just share hopefully folks are still tuned in here at this point in the in the old episode here I, I really want to encourage you all that if you are emotionally clueless like I was that is completely okay well you all got to start somewhere we all had to start somewhere. So don't shame yourself if you are emotionally clueless right now when you're listening to this and just know that there is hope and that you can learn and grow and get better if you are willing to own, take ownership and responsibility of your emotions and your emotional state. And I, that's what I had to do when I first yelled at my wife and almost yelled at my daughter and stuff. I had to just own where I was at. Man, I'm an emotional five-year-old right now. I've, I've got to start growing. And even though, um, again, I'm probably in my third quarter of my life, 
well, it's better better late than never. I'd rather start now than when I'm 60 or 70, or God forbid, I never learn this stuff. So I just want to encourage you that, again, if you're emotionally clueless right now, it's okay. Start where you're at and, and just start start that journey, start that path of emotional growth and yeah. emotional intelligence. Awesome. And you really just tied those things together because we are all very competitive and there's a lot of power in that. But really what I just heard from you is make sure you understand where that line is because competitiveness can turn into, you know, your own self-shame. So um, I, I think we're getting close to wrapping this up. Yeah, before we go, please list all the places they can get a hold of you. Yeah, sure. So EQGangster.com is our website. Our YouTube channel is EQ Gangster Podcast, same name. We do have a membership for those people that are wanting to grow their emotional intelligence in a safe, supportive community that discusses real issues and topics surrounding emotional intelligence, and that's EQGangster.com forward slash mafia. Any sort of social media? All the same. Social media, Instagram, Facebook, EQ Gangster. Got it. Thank you for coming in. It's been a lot of fun to talk to you. Um, hopefully we can have you back or return the favor. Let us know. Um, and as always, anything else from you? Yeah, no, I just want to say a year and a half ago when I was first listening to you on a podcast, never would have thought we didn't have our podcast at the time. So never would have thought that I'd be sitting across the kitchen table recording our own. So I just want to say, one, I appreciate that original phone call that you gave to me reaching out and, and just introducing yourself and saying, hey, let's go get something to eat. And I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for all the kind of words of wisdom that you've passed along with us. And I really look forward to us as an organization talking more about it and trying to implement some of this stuff. So thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Absolutely. Have a great day, everybody. Welcome back from the interview with Noble Gibbons. It was great to have him here. Well, I think we can call him a friend of the show now. I hope so. I think he's the first friend of the show. So, yeah. Um, what was your impression? Give me an overall impression of the interview and how it went. Uh, I thought it went very well, but um, you know, I'm. I think I also am a little biased towards him because, like I said in the podcast itself, I first heard him on another podcast and what he was saying just really spoke to me. And so ever since I heard that conversation, I was kind of in. I was like, yep, I'm a friend of his before I even know him. Um, and I've gotten to know um, Noble kind of, you know, outside of the podcast and outside of the job. And he is just, he's, he's just a good human being. And um, if I had to add another word to it, you know, to add to kind of the charisma that I mentioned or we mentioned mm -hmm. before, um, I would say authentic. You know, I just, sure. when I listen to him talk, you know, he's not, you know, he's not trying to be somebody he's not, he's mm -hmm. just like, this is who I am. He's comfortable in his own skin. And, and I appreciate that. I just feel very comfortable around him. Yeah. Which wasn't always the case for him. I don't think he, he describes himself as a, uh, addicted to people pleasing, uh, Yeah, which, uh, which says you're not comfortable in your own skin. Cause you're trying to, you know, be whatever the people are yeah. that want you 
want you to be around you, you know, so. Yeah, I can, re- um, I can relate to that personally. I mean, I look back at my life and I think there has been a lot of times that, or most of my life, that if I wasn't doing something that made somebody else happy, um, you know, I felt very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I think just now in my life, in the last few years, and hopefully moving forward, I can use kind of the little bit of the lessons that he's talked about is being he, because the words he used was, I'm a recovering people pleaser addict. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that's me. Like, I need to be better at just, hey, this is who I am, and um, not worry so much about, am I making somebody else happy? Mm-hmm. Well, I hope you all enjoyed the interview uh, with Noble. Um, I know we enjoyed participating in that, and uh, hopefully he'll come back sometime and we'll have some other things to talk about. One thing I brought up to you yesterday that I wanted to talk about, I wanted to give you, usually we do these off the cuff. uh, We kind of show up and we just have a discussion, but I wanted to give you some time to think about it. Um, The hot topic within our department right now is the mask mandate. But I don't want to talk about it from the perspective that I think the dialogue or or the narrative has been about that up to this point. I think what's most concerning for me is how we're treating each other. Um, Anybody who's worked for me knows that I have four rules or four expectations when you come and work in my battalion or at at the time at the fire station. I I had the same thing as a lieutenant as I did as a captain and now as a battalion chief. And that's, you know, number one, work safely. Mm -hmm. You know, we're an inherently dangerous job. So whatever job that we have to do, we take uh, as many precautions as we need to to work as safe as possible to get the job done that we need to get done. Um, Number two is know your job. So know your job description, know how to apply it, know what you're supposed to do. Um, number three is do your job. So it's one thing to know it, but if you don't apply it out in the real world and you don't actually do your job, then those two things are in conflict. The last thing, number four, and, and you know, the way I say it out on the street is don't be a so be nice to people. Mm-hmm. And that includes be nice to the community, be nice to, you know, the other people in your station, on the other people on other shifts, on the other stations, just be nice to people. And I'm worried about, you know, not not all the political stuff that's going on. And I'm not a political person. And I'm not, you know, I don't know the medicine. And I don't know, you know, what the news is saying and all that. But I'm worried about how we're treating each other. Um, you know, we say in the fire service that we're a family. And now more than ever, we have to prove that. So I don't really care whether you're vaccinated or you're unvaccinated. I don't care whether you're wearing a mask or not. Um, I trust that you're making the decisions that you feel are best for you and your family. And I want to support that. But in return, I want you to support me too. Um, It's just hard to see a division between the people that we care about the most. I mean, we've, we've gone through a lot, you know, I've been here 23 years. You've been here 20, you know, we've gone through a lot together as a group of people, whether you've been here 23 days, 23 weeks, 23 years, it doesn't matter. We've gone through a lot of things as a group of people and we're going through this together, but I don't feel maybe we're as together as we could be. 
Um, we're hearing a lot of words of, you know, you're going to single me out or you're going to make me feel out of place. Um, but we shouldn't do that to each other. And that's a cultural thing. There should be no mask mandate. There should be no mandate of any kind that tears us apart. There should be no um, dividing us as a group of people, regardless of what our political affiliation is or, or what we believe, because I believe you're going to do the best thing you can do for your family, and I support that. And I, and I hope that we do that for each other rather than something like this tearing us apart. I 100% agree, and I don't know if there's much more that I can say to add a lot of value to that, but the things that I think of when you're, when you're talking about those is, one, this whole job, this whole thing we do is based on teams. There is nothing that we do that is based on the individual, and unfortunately what, you know, what we're going through, not only as a job, as a society, probably in the world right now, is... Um, you know, a hardship that's creating a lot of division. And, um, and I don't think, you know, there's a lot of other things that added up that kind of added to this or started this. Um, and then all of a sudden we had the pandemic. So there was already a lot of division created, you know, within the world. And then all of a sudden we throw in the pandemic and you throw in social media and everything else. And it really just gives, it gives people the opportunity to freely speak their mind without really understanding or knowing what the consequences are going to be, especially to the team. So when we bring that to the fire department, it's like we can't do this job without teamwork. And the more that we create division, the more that we um, feel like we're being separated um, or secluded or being treated differently, it completely destroys that team concept. And the one thing that I keep falling back on, I, I like to feel like I'm a very positive person. I like to go, um, hey, if I'm going to have a surgery, I know it's going to be a good outcome. I know I'm going to get back to good health. I'm going to do this. And when I look at what we're going through right now, and I look back at some of the best teams that I've ever been on in my life, each one of those teams, the common theme was they were teams that we went through some kind of hardship together. We went through some kind of suffering together, you know, not that we were getting like whipped and beat, you know, beaten, but we went through, um, we went through tough times. And so the positive thing that I can see coming out of this is we're going to get through this pandemic. We're going to come out the other side. And when we do this group of people on the fire department, Right now, the people that we have here that are going through this are probably going to have a different or hopefully better relationship than maybe any other time on on this job, you know, outside of the first pandemic back in, what did Chief say, 1918 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So my hope, my thought process is understand that, you know, we're going to come out the other side. We're going to do this together. Um, treat each other right. Um, I'm with you. Like, I don't care. Vaccinate, don't, don't, don't vaccinate. Um, you know, have a reason for doing what you're doing. And what we can do is if I ever feel like um, I have a problem with somebody, what I need to do is I need to go out and, and seek to understand why. Like, if, if, if I don't agree with something that you're doing, why can't I just sit down with you and go, hey, 
man, please help me understand this. And maybe that'll kind of help with the process. I don't know what the answer is, but I just keep going. Silver lining to this is that this is our opportunity to really come together as an organization and hopefully turn this into something better when we get through it all. Yeah, I mean, we can use social media. We can use the mainstream media. We can use politics as an excuse for division. And I guess what I'd want to impress upon everybody is that our society, our culture, our country, our fire department is never better than when we pull together as a group to defeat a common enemy. And the common enemy isn't social media, and it's not politics, and it's not mainstream media. Those just feed into it. And the common enemy certainly isn't each other. And we can't treat each other like enemies. Um, We need to treat each other as humans and, and treat each other as friends and loved ones and family members that we say that we are. Um, and we'll get through this. The common enemy is a virus, something we can't see, something we can't touch. It's not, it's not tangible unless it really touches your life through the illness itself. Um, but it's certainly not each other. And we shouldn't treat each other like we're a common enemy because we're not. We're just not. We're all together. We're all in this together. Um, The best way we can get through this is together and put aside all the differences and and put aside all the the politics and all the BS that goes along with that and just look at it as being a good human and just be nice to each other. And like you said, seek to understand and, and show some compassion and, and, and provide some grace because people, you know, operate with the understanding of good faith, understand or think that people are making decisions the best way they know how that's best for themselves and the best for their family. And just, just be nice to each other and support each other and, and, and whatever that is. Let me just add one more thing. Um, I want to, just add the, or at least bring up the power of diversity. And diversity comes in all forms. You know, diversity doesn't just mean the color of your skin or, you know, your religious preference or, you know, those things. I mean, we're talking about diversity right now, just the thought process of am I vaccinated or am I not? Should I wear a mask? Should I not? Those are just, that's diverse opinions, right? So if you look at, um, the power of our organization comes from, I believe a lot of it comes from um, diversity. You know, I've said this before, if we have a fire department of 500 Josh winners, probably wouldn't have a very good fire department, you know, but when we have 500 people who all have different thought processes, backgrounds, and they all bring something different to the table, that's where the strength in our organization comes from. So, I mean, I could break this down to something as small as we run a call and you got one person on the crew that, you know, is vaccinated, one that's not, and then you're out in the public with people that are and are not vaccinated. At least you've got both different viewpoints and opinions there with you to be able to help work through whatever that problem is on the street. So, you know, there's, I, I believe that there's power in, you know, the different opinions that we have on the department. I would rather think of it that way than think of the division that it's creating. Thank you, Josh, for your opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. 
Uh, diversity does make us stronger, and it's it's not just the color of your skin. It's not your religious belief. It's it's everything that we do in life. We all come from a, a different background with different perspectives and different experiences, and that's what, what makes us rich as a group. So thank you for having this conversation. Thank you all for listening. Um, I appreciate each and every one of you, um, regardless of where you stand on any issue that we could be possibly be faced with. I may not agree with it, but that's okay. Uh, I'm with Josh. Just help me understand, and, and let's help each other through this process. Thanks, everybody. Be good to each other, and we'll talk to you next time. Sunrise on the sun.